2 Peter chapter 3. When we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, we see that at some point in time, there's no remedy. There's time now to turn and, and look to the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but until then, uh, until that time of judgment, um, we have that opportunity. But when that takes place, there's no remedy. And so, um, maybe turn me down just a hair, I don't know. Um, today, and when we get back into the Word here, we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 20. We're going to look over several chapters, kind of breeze through them as quickly as possible. And we could have entitled this No Remedy, but I believe it's a cautionary example for us. And there are a lot of cautionary examples in the Word of God concerning um, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And many of us know of a cautionary tale. I don't know about you youngsters. Kids, have you ever heard about the boy who cried wolf? You have? Good. Well, we're not going to go over it, but it's a, that's a cautionary example, right? Cautionary tale. To not cry wolf when there's no wolf, because when you do cry wolf, it might be too late. Maybe no remedy. But when we come back to 1 Kings chapter 20, we find that um, Ahab, a a real king, (laughs) who had many failures, um, was a man or king that we can find he was a cautionary example One of the verses that I think would be good for us to think upon as we go through this passage would be Proverbs 9, 6, which says, says, forsake your folly and live. Forsake your folly and live. Forsake your sinful ways and live. Forsake going your own direction and turn to the Lord and live. And proceed in the way of understanding. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, we, we uh, see in the Word of God here, Lord, your Word, we find many examples of people who, who waited too long or who continued to go down the path of foolishness or a path of pride, a path of rebellion, and then judgment came and it was too late for them to repent. It was too late to avoid the consequences for their actions. Help us to learn from your word, Lord, from these examples. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see uh, any wicked way, any sinful way, any rebellious way within ourselves, that we would be sensitive to your conviction there, Lord, and repent of it. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. And we ask that you would help us to see that your patience does not mean that judgment will, will not come but instead it will at the right time. So help us to, to take advantage of every moment to live for you, Lord, and help us to see the areas in which we're straying. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we find in the Word of God uh, frequently that the, with these examples that there are two important truths. And, and so I want to go over two important truths with you this morning First, that rebellion against the Lord, and you should get this, it's pretty easy, 
It is dangerous. Very dangerous to be rebellious against the Lord. And yet we see many who take advantage of God's patience. Second, that we should repent while there's still time. And so if we take these to heart, um, we will proceed in the way of understanding. And so first, let's look over how rebelling against the Lord is dangerous. I don't think that we have to go too far in the Scripture to, to see that this is a true statement. It's a pretty easy statement to come up with. And yes, I did work hard at trying to come up with this one. But anyway, rebellion is dangerous. And, and first, I think it's very important for us to see the very biblical truth as opposed to some Freudian perspectives <laughs> That we're born with sin, in sin and we're born with a sinful inclination and therefore we have to be, be very cautious about the desires of our heart. Because rebellion is from our heart. Well, there's help that comes from other things. But really it falls upon us. When we look at this passage here today, I think you can pick out and and we're going to skim through it. So if you go back and read it, and, and we can pick out all of Ahab's life or pick out and look at different times in Ahab's life where he had different opportunities. And so when we look back and we see at the very beginning when Elijah began his ministry, it was to confront King Ahab. And he said, there's going to be drought, but by my word, there will be drought. Okay? And so there, during the drought... Ahab had the opportunity to say, yeah, we're being rebellious. Let's repent. <laughs> Did he repent? And we see at the end of the drought that there's this great conflict, right? Remember that? Between the Lord God, represented by Elijah, and the false god Baal and his 450 false prophets. Of course, the Lord God showed his power and the false prophets were judged. But Ahab had the opportunity to repent of his rebellious heart through the drought, and he did not. So rebellion happens during those times where you should say, I need to repent. This is, this is judgment of the Lord. There's also times of blessing that Ahab experienced. Look at 1 Kings 20 verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army. That's Syria. Aram is up there, Syria, north of Israel. And there were 32 kings with him in horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and fought against it. So he had 32 kings. Really, probably, these are leaders. We'd probably call them mayors today. But they had city-states. So they had their own armies in these cities. And so he had 30, these 32 kings come with him, and he, he besieged Samaria. That's the northern tribe. That's the, the, the Israel. Ahab is the king of Israel, of Samaria. Samaria and Israel is synonymous at this time. <clears throat> and then, so in verse 2, Then he sent messengers to the city of Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your most beautiful wives and children are also mine. The king of Israel replied, it is according to your word, my Lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. Then the messengers returned and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad. So, so King Ahab says, Okay, yeah, you can have them. <laughs> Just don't destroy us. 
you and your 32 kings. But then he gets this, nether, this message from Ben-Hadad, and surely I sent to you saying, you shall give me your silver and your gold and your wives and your children, but about this time tomorrow I will send my servants to you, and they will search your house, your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall come about. Whatever is desirable in their eyes, they will take in their hand and carry away. Well, Ben-Hadad must have thought, oh, this is just a little too easy. Let's, let's get more. <laughs> Verse 7, then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, please observe and see what we find here. And I can read through it. I think it's a fascinating story. He, get, he does the right thing. He gets advice from, from the wise men, the leaders of his nation. And then we find that he has a prophet. Now they said, don't, don't. Listen or consent. And so he didn't. He didn't listen or consent to Ben-Hadad and what he wanted to do. And he sent messengers to Ben-Hadad in 9 and 10. And then the king of Israel replied to him, tell him, let not. So Ben-Hadad in verse 10 sent to him and said, may the gods do so, so to me and more also if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. That is, He's saying, okay, I'm going to take care of you, buddy. In verse 11, we have the king of Israel, Ahab, says, Tell him, let not him who girds on his armor boast like him who takes it off. He's, like, he's saying, okay, all right, buddy, don't count your chickens before they're hatched, right? And so in verse 12, when he sends this message, and Ben-Hadad hears this message, as he was drinking with the the kings in the temporary shelters that he said to his servants, station yourselves. So they stationed themselves against the city. Verse 13, now behold, a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, and said, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver them into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So he, could, he gets counsel, and then he also has a prophet of God come and tell him, you have the victory. Time of blessing came even in time of difficulty, but God gave him the victory. We find here in this passage. But yet, I think it's important for us to understand, did this change his heart at all? Uh, now, the Lord did this. The Lord judges so that people will know that he is the Lord God. The Lord gives blessing so that they will know that he is the Lord God. And we see at the end of this verse It shall happen so that you know that I am the Lord. So Ben-Hadad goes on continuing to party. And in verse 14 and 15, we find that Ahab was to go against him. And as he goes out and he gains a victory, he is to know that the Lord God gave him the victory, the blessing. And so they went out while Ben-Hadad was partying up and defeated them. Arameans, Syrians, that is, with, they defeated them with 7,232 7, men, right? God promised that he would, and he did deliver for him. And then God promised Ahab, said, they're going to come back again. They're coming back. You know, we, we read down through this passage and we find it interesting, Syria or 
Aram, <coughs> pardon me, thought it was because the Lord was a hill God and their God was a valley God. And so when they come again, jump down to verse 27, Israel goes out against them, and Israel, in this verse, looked very small compared to their numbers, right? Looked two little goats, flocks of goats, compared to a multitude. And then we find after that verse, we find what the Lord did. The Lord said he would defeat them. Really, Syria was, and we find this in several passages in Scripture, overconfident kings that came against Israel or Judah who thought that they were going to win and they began to taunt Israel. Not only Israel, but they doubted the Lord God, Jehovah. And that's where their demise happens. Even though Israel here is not perfect, a very wicked nation because of King Ahab. And so Israel slew 100,000 foot soldiers in one day, even on the plain. God is the God of the whole universe, not just the hill God. And so they conquered them on the plain. And then you read in verse 30 that even 27,000 of those soldiers died when a wall fell on them. It's a lot of people who are, are killed by the Lord. And so Ahab, he does the right thing after this because of all the blessings of the Lord and protecting his nation. And he makes a peace treaty with Ben-Hadad, right? That's the right thing to do? Oh, it's not. It's not the right thing. Uh-oh. So Ahab disobeyed and threw a vivid illustration from a prophet. And I believe this prophet, if you read down through this, this prophet is probably, it was a prophet from a school of Elijah and Elisha. We find in Scripture some other references to, to a, a, a school of prophets. But he comes in a very vivid way, gives this, this illustration to Ahab, and, and so he has a, a fellow prophet strike him. The first one didn't, and so uh, don't disobey God. <laughs> he was killed. So the second one said, okay, I like you, buddy, but I'd, I'd like to live. And so he strikes this prophet. So a rebellious heart can happen in times of success. And it happens in times of warning. Jump down to verse 42. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I have devoted to destruction, therefore you, your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. And so what does King Ahab do? He repents, right? So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and vexed, and came to Samaria. Now he is just depressed. I think we have to be very cautious in our culture not to think, oh, someone's depression is, is, you know, medical or mental. Sometimes, and I'm not saying always, but sometimes it is because of their rebellious heart and the Lord is dealing with them and convicting them. Sometimes. 
and yet he did not rebel. And so it happens, a rebellious heart can happen even in a time of great warning. And finally, in 2122, jump over, we have this whole episode of what's taking place, and Elijah confronts him again, and he's still rebellious. And so I'd like to read to you in this next chapter something that takes place in his life. And so starting here, he's still sad. He sees this vineyard. He goes home. He sees this vineyard of Naboth, and he wants it, and he's sad, and he's so vexed about it that Jezebel does something wonderful, a great sin, and has, has Naboth killed because he won't sell the vineyard to Ahab. And so rebellion, I want you to see that rebellion is destructive. And this is from verses 1 through 14. I really don't have time to read through it. We find again that this rebellion, it leads to unhappiness. It led to Naboth's death, but also we find the judgment. Look at verse 22 and 21. Let's start at 21. Behold, I will bring evil upon you. Now this is Elijah. Elijah hasn't been heard of from for four years. In verse 20, let's back up there. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocations with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel's sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. And more judgment there as you read on. But because of Ahab's continued sinful nature and rebellion... We have unhappiness and we have death. In chapter 21, 9 through 14, what did they do? They set up Naboth. They, They threw a feast for Naboth. They brought him in. They set him before the table. And then two worthless men say, hey, he 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 cursed God and the king. And so there's death for Naboth. And then we read in this passage, there's death in verse 23 and 24. For Ahab's family, for Jezebel, for him and his kingdom. And in this story we also see, and we could take a lot more time in it, but his rebellion led to corruption. Jezebel's corrupt influence infected the country. She takes the king's signet ring and makes this, this plan and sends it out and they follow through. Who followed through? The people of the nation. The leaders of the nation, they brought Naboth in, they set him up, and they had him stoned to appease the queen and king of Israel. So there weren't just two worthless men, there were leaders of the city who went along with this plan. And we can make a lot of observations in comparison to what we see today. There's a lot of corruption, isn't there? A lot of corruption. We have and we are doing a lot of those things in the United States of America. And 
And a lot of times people say, and Ahab could say, oh, it's something else that's taking place. It's not God's judgment. It's something else. And today people say, oh, hey, it's climate change. And we got to bend to the, the green movement and do what they say instead of repenting and turning to the Lord. And throughout Scripture, what do we see? Why were there major catastrophes? Well, sin. Now, we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. But some people say, oh, this is what's happening, and so they bear down under it and continue to go their own way. And not all people in California are bad, and not all cities are bad, but when we look at California, I find it fascinating as an illustration. Here over a week ago, one, in one day, the government of California says, okay, by 2023 or 25 or 2035, pardon me, no more fossil fuel vehicles in California. The very next day they come back and say, okay, you guys with your electric cars, you can't charge them this week. Then the day after that, there's rolling blackouts. Then the day after that, right in there, they say, okay, Parents do not have a right over their children. Anybody from any state, hey, judges, and they make this law, you bring your kids here, they can have their, their transgender surgeries. And if the parents won't go along with it, the parents have no rights. The point being is instead of turning to the Lord God in his ways, they are bearing down under their view of what's taking place. And I don't, we don't have to get into a discussion. There, there's always been climate change, is my opinion, okay? We're be good stewards. But people are using that as we got to appease Mother Earth or we have to do it our way instead of saying this is where we're at fault and pleading to the Lord God who is maker of heaven and earth and in control of all things. That's the point. And here Ahab does not see the warnings we in our day, we can look out and say, oh yeah, look at California, and we've done that quite a bit, right? Or I've done it. Okay, I won't, I won't put you in my category, okay? But then I need to come back and look at my life, my personal life, where have I done the same thing as Ahab and done the same thing as the culture, the secular culture in this, these United States? The warnings are there. The rebellion against the Lord is dangerous. And so we have to ask ourselves, what about me? Have I forsaken my folly? Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. The second important truth is, and we're not going to spend much time on this, okay? You won't be here all day. We've already gone over just a little bit. Repent while there is time. Repent while there is time. We find that God warns frequently. God warned Ahab during the drought, during the blessing. And finally, in 1 Kings 21, 21, if there's any key verse out of all of this, um, you might pick the one where God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to you know, deal with Syria so that you know that I am the Lord. I think 21 is important because, behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off 
from Ahab, every male, both bond and free in Israel. We could include verse 20 because look at how Ahab views Elijah, his enemy. If Elijah is his enemy, then the Lord God is his enemy. And he has done evil in verse 21. And this is yet another warning. God warns frequently and God waits patiently. It's very important for us to see that. But remember, God is warning us during the drought and during blessing. And he will warn finally. Here in 21 is a final warning for Ahab. Well, there is another warning from another prophet about going into battle. But the judgment has already been set. Okay? God waits patiently. His timing is perfect. God fulfilled promises coming. God's fulfilled promises came at the right time throughout Ahab's life. And they continue for every human being. For us as well, he has promised us many things. And they will be fulfilled at the right time. His judgments as well as his promises, will come. Remember 2 Peter chapter 3. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, Who desire God, this is speaking about the Lord God, desires all men to be saved and come to the, the knowledge of the truth. And so we have to be mindful again, I repeat myself again, that his mercy is not weakness. And that his mercy is there. He is staying his hand so that more people would repent and believe. But he will judge righteously. And there are many consequences, aren't there? There are both eternal and physical consequences. Now, if we go back to this passage, we'll see that Ahab seems to repent in 1 Kings 21, 27 through 29. Yet the consequences would remain. Yet, there's also this observation, even though he was repentative, he did not give Naboth's vineyard back to the closest relative. Did he? But it was too late. The judgment stayed in place. He was shot and the dogs licked up his blood where, where Naboth's blood had been licked up. Compare chapter 21, 19 to chapter twenty-two, thirty-eight. 38. Jezebel was thrown from the palace window and the dogs ate her until only her feet and hands were left. That's pretty gruesome, isn't it? 2 Kings 9, 7 through 10 and 27 through 37. And then Ahab's son did evil like him and he died because of his sin and his father's sin. 1 Kings 22, 51 through 53. And Ahab's descendants all perished. And there was a king who was thrown in Naboth's vineyard, his body. So what do we learn from this? Would you turn with me real briefly to Hebrews chapter 3? <clears throat> Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter's right after Hebrews. 
Hebrews is after Pauline epistles. <coughs> Hebrews 3, 12 through 15 says, and you should be familiar with this, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you, uh, in any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin is very deceitful. We're pretty easily blinded to it. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast um, the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So here, there is a challenge using Israel as an example, but it's important for us to see that we are to turn to him while there is still time. God's grace is great. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Amen? It's not by works of righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. We are given eternal life by His great grace. Just remember, He is patient in his judgment, but it will come. And so I, I want you to look again at Proverbs 9, 6. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. And we need to ask ourselves as we close today, how much like Ahab am I? How much alike Ahab are we? Not at all, pastor. Okay. Is God's word the enemy? 1 Kings 21, 20. And so we, are we speaking the word of God? Will people view us as the enemy if we speak it? So first, how do you view God's word? And if you've embraced God's word, are you willing to share God's word? And if you share God's word, do you understand that there are people who may view you as an enemy? Or as recently I, I have heard, an extremist? We may be enemies to those who do reject and rebel against God. But are we willing to follow Jesus and live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your wonderful mercy and grace. Thank you that you desire to use us and we ask that you'd give us the boldness and the confidence to share your word, to live out the gospel, but Lord, that we would be willing to share it even if people may view us as the enemy or as an extremist. Help us to share it in love even when there's hate against us. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time that we have together. And, and not just, Lord, I, I pray that each one of us will see the challenge as we go out, but also the wonderful blessings as we go out. And that the blessings that we do receive 
even in hard times, that we would take those and, and allow those to encourage us to see that, Lord God, you are still at work and there's much to be thankful for. Help us to keep our eyes on you so that we see that you are far greater than any problem that comes our way. Help us to keep our eyes on you so that we are going the direction that you are leading us to. I ask that you bless each one as they go out, you'd encourage them, and you give them wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have some youngsters come up this morning to take up this morning's offering. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Hold on, guys. All right. Somebody should say, hey, Pastor Lee, what about the ones that are being promoted? I don't know. I, okay. So let's do that. I'm sorry. I, I plumb forgot. Uh, Jordan and Liz, you have one that's being promoted. I should have done this first. My apologies. <laughs> 